we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I want to share a thought with you tonight that I shared with our high school graduates on Friday night from the book of Philippians. I invite you to turn there with me to the book of Philippians, chapter number two. Philippians chapter number two, we'll begin reading in verse number 14. Philippians chapter number two, and we'll begin reading in verse 14. The Word of God says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. I call your attention to verse number 15. The very close of the verse, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian church and he said this, ye shine as lights in the world. I just want to share some thoughts with you along that theme tonight, shine as lights. Shine as lights. I think there are three ways, three reasons, perhaps, that we must shine. And I speak in particular to uh, our young people, as I spoke to our graduates on Friday night. Uh, But I speak to these college students and college graduates. Uh, Paul is writing to this church at Philippi concerning their responsibility. And he's telling them that it is their responsibility to shine as lights in the world. As believers, we are to shine as lights. From the early days of Sunday school, you remember singing that song, don't you? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You remember the innocency that you experienced in those days? And the earnestness that you sang with as you sang that song, I'm going to let it shine. Well, I want you to know that since those days, the world has gotten darker. And the need for the light to shine has grown ever greater. Now, there are three thoughts I want to give to you from this passage tonight. And these are the thoughts I shared with our young people on Friday. Number one, we're to shine in our witness, to shine in our witness. In verse 14, he speaks of their conduct, their testimony, the way in which they live their lives. And he says, do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. This morning, we talked about the life of David and the decision that was made uh, to allow the Gibeonites to receive justice for the crimes of Saul. 
We talked about the need for justice in an unjust world and how truly incomplete and imperfect human justice is. We talked about the need for compassion. And those who know the Lord must demonstrate compassion. We live in an angry world, a divisive world, a complaining world. And we have to be careful as believers that we not allow the spirit of this world to permeate our heart and corrupt our soul, to turn us into a a group of angry people who think we can debate our cause and convince someone that they're wrong. That is the way of the world, but that is not the way of the church. That's not the way of Christ. We speak clearly and plainly the message of his word. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But if we're going to speak it, we have to live it. Our lives need to back up our claim that we know the Lord. And that lies in distinction to the way and course of this world. So Paul's writing to them, and he says, first of all, don't be a complainer. Don't be a complainer. Do all things without murmurings. Where do murmurings arise from? A discontented heart. We live in a world that's filled with discontentment. The more we have, the more we want. The eyes of man, the Bible says, are never satisfied. But the Bible teaches us that as believers, we're to be content. Contentment with godliness, the Bible says, is great gain. Paul said, I've learned how to be abased and I've learned how to be abound. I've learned whatsoever state I am in, whatever condition, whatever circumstance that has come to me, I have learned, he said, to be content. May God help us as his children to be content in the goodness of the Father and his provision for our lives. A heart of discontentment grows out of an attitude that says, I want what they have. It's a result of us looking around and comparing ourselves with other people. And we live in a world that is full of complaints and complaining. And Christian people ought not to be complainers. No, on the... On the reverse of that, we ought to be grateful. We ought to be thankful. We ought to express our gratitude and our appreciation rather than our complaints. Oftentimes we talk about the things that we don't like, but we rarely talk about the things that we're thankful for. So he says, concerning their witness, concerning their conduct and their behavior, don't be a complainer. Then he says this, don't be a critic. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. We live in an argumentative, debating world. But that's not to be the role of the Christian. We're not to be argumentative. We're not looking for debates and strife and conflict. May God help us. I quoted John MacArthur, who in his book, Ashamed of the Gospel, wrote about this era in which we live, known as the postmodern era. MacArthur says postmodernism subjects every idea and every authority to endless skepticism. Postmodernism has canonized or 
is equated to religious dogma, these things, diversity, doubt, and defiance. Question everything is the postmodern manifesto. And this is what Jude told us it would be like in the days before the coming of the Lord. He says in Jude chapter 1 in verse number 8, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion. They hate authority, he says, and speak evil of dignities. That characterizes our world, this world of defund the police, this world of rebellion. Verse 10, he says, but these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things which they corrupt themselves. They do not know, he said, what they're talking about. We have a group of people in our country who want to dominate the culture. They speak not truth. They speak out of emotion. By the way, the emotions are the most susceptible part of us to deceit and deception. The most shallow and unstable part of our being is our emotions. And we have a generation in our nation today that is guided by their emotion, not by truth. And as a result of that, they speak evil of that which they know not. They've lost their capacity to reason. Feelings take precedent over truth. He says in verse 16, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Verse 18, he said, Note how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Well, that's the day in which we live. Where we are told to forsake God's order in creation, something as simple as biology and anatomy, the institution of marriage and the home, those things which are fundamental to society, fundamental to who we are, those things are being denied. We're being told that we have to fall in line with this cultural revolution. And so he says, you're going to live in a world of complainers and critics. Don't be among them. And then he says this quite simply, don't be a complainer, don't be a critic, but be a Christian. Look at verse 15. That she may be blameless. That means to be without fault. It doesn't mean that we're faultless, but it means that we live a life in pursuit of righteousness and holiness, that when we do sin, we confess our sin. We do not live in sin and iniquity. We do not give an occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. We're blameless. We're harmless. That means without falsehood, without deceit. The Bible says that we are the sons of God and we are to live a life without rebuke. We are to live a life that pleases our Father. 
we are to conduct ourselves in a way that honors him. So, number one, we must shine in our witness. Number two, we must shine in our world. Notice again in verse 15, he says that we shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. We are in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Paul was writing to the Philippians who lived in a time of great perversity, a nation that uh, had denied God and was walking in darkness. And that characterizes our nation. We see what he says concerning this nation. He said it's a crooked nation. That word crooked means to be bent or to be warped. The thinking of this world is warped. It's bent. He says a perverse nation, that means to twist, to distort. It's twisted, isn't it? It's twisted to turn our children over to teachers who want to promote rebellion against God. Perversion and wickedness. I thank God for Christian teachers who serve in, in secular education, the public education system. I thank God for them, and we ought to pray for them and do all that we can to support and encourage them. And I'm grateful that mainly in our community, we don't see as much of that as in other places. But I want you to know that Satan wants to use the education system to indoctrinate young people. That's why I'm so especially grateful that God has given us the opportunity here to provide children with an academic training, but to teach them the truth of God's word. We need to shine in our world. It's crooked, it's perverse, and it's dark. And it's growing ever darker. So young people, as I charge you on Friday night, shine in your witness, shine in your world, and then lastly, shine in your work. In your work. God has called us to serve him. Uh, we have a mindset that seems to permeate so much thinking in this world that people are here to serve us. There is an entitlement that has crept in. Oh, it's long been in the world, but it's beginning to creep in. In fact, it has crept in to the thinking of Christians, a sense of entitlement, a sense of, of, uh, that, that says we expect certain things to be done for us. We, we deserve certain things. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll, we'll boil and reduce the Christian life down to what can God do for us? Well, let me tell you what God can do for you, what he's already done. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? He sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. He took your sin upon himself. He went to the cross, suffered and bled and died. The just, as we pointed out this morning, for the unjust. That's all of us. Jesus Christ died for all of us. For God so loved the world. That's all people in this world. God loves all people in this world so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for them. Jesus Christ 
then offers salvation to all who will believe and call upon him. And he told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. What is the Lord Jesus doing in this moment? Well, he's interceding at the right hand of the Father for his children, but he is preparing an eternal home for all of us. What more can be done? And so if there are hardships and difficulties that we face in this life, if things don't go the way we expect oftentimes, then we begin to complain and murmur. We lose sight of the goodness of God and what God has done for us. And we make the Christian life a checklist that we give God that says, do this for me and do this for me and do this for me. But God has called us now to serve him. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So what is it that we're endeavoring to do? We're endeavoring to train servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. To train servants. A servant, as Mike Edwards pointed out a few years ago to us in one of his messages, a, ser a servant is, 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 is a slave. We're to be the slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to present our bodies to him as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. We want to equip our young people with a mindset that God has placed them here with this thought that they serve him with their lives. Whether they uh, work in ministries of vocation or they work as engineers or construction workers or in in, in corporations or, or at the grocery store next door, whatever it is that God has called them to do, we want them to understand that they are a part of his church and they have a responsibility to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with their life. So he reminded them of their assignment in verse 16, holding forth the word of life. In their life, it is their responsibility to uphold the truth of God's word. Three of our young people are going to get married very soon. We're grateful for that. They have a responsibility in their home to lead their homes, to raise children as God gives them children, and to teach them the truth of God's word. They have a responsibility to be faithful Christians, to faithfully attend church and support the work of God with tithes and offerings. This is the calling that God has placed upon their lives. That's their assignment, to lead their families, to serve God in their church, to be a witness and a testimony, to speak the truth for Jesus Christ, to speak it compassionately, but to speak it clearly and boldly. They are not to be ashamed of the gospel. They are to embrace it. That's their assignment. And that assignment is given to all of us. Again, no matter what career path that God would lead us on. He has called us to be his servants. And then he reminded them of their accountability. Notice again in verse 16, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You see, Paul came to Philippi. He received that vision in the night, that Macedonian vision. And he came to Philippi and he began to preach down by the river. And he met a woman named Lydia who was a seller of purple, and she became a Christian. And she opened her church, or her home rather, she opened her home to have meetings. We know that Paul 
uh, led a, a young lady to the Lord who was uh, possessed of a devil. She was enslaved and ensnared. And Paul delivered her. The Lord Jesus delivered her. And then she became a believer in the Lord. She became a part of that church. Eventually, Paul would find himself in prison, being beaten because of the preaching of the gospel. And as he and Silas sang praise at midnight, we know that the Bible tells us that there was a great quaking of the earth and the prison doors opened and the chains fell off. And the keeper of the jail, about to take his own life because he thought he was going to lose all the prisoners, was stopped by the apostle Paul who said, do thyself no harm. We are all here. And the man came trembling to Paul and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said, there's something different about these guys. I need to know their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he came to the Lord. That night he got baptized. In fact, he uh, cleaned the wounds of Paul and Silas. He became a part of that church. Paul saw that church grow from infancy. That He loved those people. He was devoted to those people. And he reminds them that they owe a debt, a debt to him, the one who brought the gospel to him. Do you know why we're here tonight? Because others have delivered the message of the gospel to us. When we have this prayer walk, I've told this story. Pastor Settle came to me and said, uh, this was in 2009. I had not been here fully a year. We were getting ready to have a homecoming meeting. And he said to me, we used to walk around this property and pray that God would give it to us. He may do that someday. Well, now he's done it, hasn't he? And I've talked to Randy Shook about that. And R.J. Starnes, who's here, used to walk around that property with him and, and pray. And perhaps others here that I'm not aware that you did that, but you did it. And now God has given it to us, and we're going to have another prayer walk. We're going to trust God now that he's given us the property, that God will provide what is needed, and he will guide us and lead us forward. We have an accountability to that generation. We have an accountability to them. That's what Paul is saying here. He said that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. This is speaking of the day of the coming of the Lord and the day of judgment. You see, more important than our accountability to those who brought the gospel to us, we have an accountability to the one who saved us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every believer will stand before the Lord Jesus and give an account to him at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, there are two judgments in the Bible. There is the judgment of the believer, the church. That's the judgment seat of Christ. And there is the judgment of unbelievers, non-believers. That's the great white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ is when the church will be judged for the opportunity that God has given to us and what we did with that opportunity. He said, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. What did we do in our lifetime 
to serve our Lord, whether it be good or bad. We have an accountability to him. That time of judgment will be a time of rewards for those who have served and been faithful to the Lord Jesus. It'll be a time of rejoicing for all those who have poured into our lives. Paul said that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, but it may be a day of regret for those who've wasted and squandered their opportunity. May God help us to shine as lights, to shine in our witness, our daily testimony. Let's not be, let's not take on the thinking of this world. We are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need to get our minds right, don't we? There's so many things that work against us, that, 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 that corrupt our minds and, and our way of thinking. We begin to think like consumers, not servants. And we become complaining critics. But may God help us to be Christians with a testimony that pleases him. May we understand the darkness and the crookedness and perversion of this world, and may God help us to, to, to realize that we have an opportunity every day in the way that we live our lives, in the language that we use, and our work ethic, and our attitude. We have an opportunity to shine the light of the message of Christ and then shine in our work. Uphold the truth of God's word. Speak it clearly, plainly, with compassion, of course. In love, yes, but speak it boldly that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. May God help us. May God help these young people. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.